0: Liam Lynch, how are
1: you? Yo, I'm good. How you going?
0: Good, and uh, today we're joined by good friend of Rhubarb, Michael Graham. How are you, Michael?
2: Yeah, I'm ecstatic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Liam, how are you?
1: Yeah, no, I've been uh, been pretty good, man. Just uh, chilling and killing. Yeah. Doing my thing.
0: Yeah. Very good. Um, how about yourself, man? Uh, yeah, snapping necks, cash and checks, you know.
1: Yeah. Good. Yeah. Snavenec- That's good. In this economy, you want to be catching checks. Yeah. That always helps.
2: You know, like, I've been interested on Facebook um, in these agricultural videos that they have, and they're very, very bland, and they're from the early 40s, and, like, <laughs> I just spam everybody with those because, <laughs> like, I feel like if they think I'm hell into that, there's something nuanced about it. Well, yeah, they'll think I'm hell, like um, <laughs> sort of sophisticated in like a traditional sense about very agriculture like, well where economy starts, you know, like with agriculture. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. it started
2: with wheat, didn't it? Well, exactly. Like, um, <laughs> but at the same time, like I don't give a shit about this, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't. I don't give a shit. So. What you're watching on my Facebook is actually <laughs> it's just for my <laughs> personal entertainment, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I only have two hundred plus friends. By the way. Yeah. So that's been still, still a good number. Well, well that that keeps me busy, yeah. Um and uh, you know, like I spend my day like frequenting Centrelink Link Morley. But um <laughs> No, nah, I'm just kidding. I, I'm not. I'm employed, folks. <laughs> folks, I'm employed. Yeah. No, no. I no
0: doll bludges.
2: Yeah. No, no. I, I wouldn't even say dull bludges. I'd say like... Because actually... A current affair would. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> but that's but, a current affair for you. But Centrelink has saved my ass many a time. And it's always without an agenda. Like, I've grown up with people that may... Twist the system. I'm not a snitch because I don't have a stitch. But um, <laughs> but for me, when I was studying and all the stuff like that, yeah, they helped me out. And I often woke up in the morning and I was like, man, I could be at a factory right now doing something horrible. But Centrelink was like, no, nah, we'll let you go to uni for art. <laughs> art. And you create a lot of art now, right? Yes, I do. But I didn't need to go to uni for that. And sorry if you're in uni right now. Um, But an arts degree can let you down in that sense. But yes, I do create a lot of art. And I would anyway if I didn't go to uni. I went to TAFE too. Oh,
0: nice. Was that an arts study as well?
2: Yeah, I went up the road actually from here at um, Central Institute of Technology... Um, And, you know, like, actually that was a really good part of my life because um, I met a lot of friends, still play with a lot of those people. Um, For my ability to play drums, I got a lot of respect and still now to this day, most of my work for playing drums comes from the people that know me from that pool of people. So... yeah 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 no c i. t up the road was really good in fact, last year I even lived with a lecturer for most of the year um because of the respect or whatever we had for each other at that place, so
0: yeah nice, yeah, and so you record music as well under Klaus bass, bass. yeah so space
2: yeah, so ever since I lived in um Como um with my grandma, I used to care for her. Um, that's when I seriously got into music production, and I bought a MacBook Pro, and um, that's when I started my own journey into sound producing, making music, and stuff that I'd learned from classical um, like lessons from playing the drums. So I built on things based on what I learned from when I was a kid. And I came from a rhythm area. A lot of people come from a melody area that I work with today. Like the parents got them piano lessons or guitar lessons or, you know, stuff like that. But I came from drums, which is a non-melodic instrument. Mm. And you get a lot of flack for being a drummer when you start because everyone else has scales, keys and, you know, things across the melody board, you just have rhythm.
1: You got TTs, Tatas.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so you get, you don't get no respect <laughs> from that um, until, you know, I think you expand your mind and, and start to like at least explore into composition and I highly recommend anyone to do that that's playing drums right now.
1: Tell us, um, Tell us a bit more about class bass and what what you do with that, and, um, like how that <coughs> how that took shape and what kind of music to play.
2: So at the moment, um, one of my friends from childhood, Marco, he sent me a Spotify playlist on things that he'd been listening to, which is dub techno or dub music, and. At the time, my girlfriend was in Kenya, and I was driving to work, and usually she comes with me because she goes out afterwards, but she doesn't like the music in the car very loud because she likes to talk to me and tell me all the things that a woman tells you when she loves you and blah, 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 and you're driving. And you happen to be trying to have a peaceful drive and then obviously she has a sort of, I don't know, advice for you, free advice of course. But anyway, she wasn't there, so I'd be able to crank the beat and Marco sent me this podcast and it's like this modern dub and it's more of a, I don't know, European influenced dub compilation. And I'd listen to this every day on the way to work and back. And I'd been doing that for a few weeks. And because my girlfriend is also from Kenya, a lot of her Afrobeat music that she's shown me has influenced my take on what I'm doing now rather than when I was before, um, when I released the first album. So that's me now yeah
1: so it's kind of like a like a mishmash of um, early dub influence thrown with a little bit of uh you know afrobeat and and sort of and uh you know that sort of thing mixed in yeah in terms of like um maybe not the sounds but more like um like the way you're composing everything
2: see in the first um album when i was working and living in perth city on adelaide terrace i was focused on texture in music i discovered texture and like i put everything i could into making the different tracks textured differently um before that i was focused on melodic composition now i'm focused on well once i've got that down focus on focusing on compositional dynamics with texture I think texture is very important because it sits your art in a certain place like my music like might not appeal to many people but at the same time when I hear it at the right time of the night um we're on the right sound system and it's crunchy and it's you know like i it, it takes me to a certain place so that's what i put into the first album then the next one i'm doing has evolved compositionally and i have a technique down now that i use um for editing and it's inspired by um this artist phineas two on soundcloud which is a a modern take on 90s jungle his and it crushes this stuff down to eight bits, and and I really dig like that Amiga two thousand sound, um, and that's sort of the things that I think about now when I create um, that that music. Yeah. So um, it's a lot of do you use
0: mainly production software like SoftSynths or do you have a lot of analog hardware? synths?
2: <clears throat> whatever I record on whether it is the Dave Smith Instruments Tempest or Logic or GarageBand even, now that I've upgraded my iMac and Apple's like, nah, you can't use the thing that you've used for the last 12 years. You need to upgrade. I'm like, nah, man, I don't need to upgrade. You're just trying to sell me. (laughs) Trying to sell my computer out. I just paid $2,000. What are you talking about? Anyway, that aside, um, yeah, no, like whatever it is I'm using, it will be a four-track. The first album I recorded on was on a literal cassette four-track. The ones that I do now, I tend to use all kinds of things. I'm I'm into mini-disc as well. Um, You were telling me
1: you had the largest collection of mini-discs. Was it in Australia or in Western Australia? Or at
2: least in Western Australia. To,
1: they, uh, so, remind me, and this might
0: be showing my naivety because when mini discs were around, I was pretty young. They, they were the, the smaller CDs, so like the 7 inch companion to the CD, you know, in, in a way, in way a, but they're like in the a plastic plastic case, yeah. and it was, it was like a floppy disk almost. But
2: there anyway. is like one
1: of those PSP games, like a UMD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A
2: UMD is a very good example of what the technology of a mini disc is essentially is it's basically like it's a floppy disk with a cd inside yeah and the the little gateway opens so the laser can read the information with <laughs> sorry i breathe a brief my nose with <laughs> <laughs> with a mini disc the information is um processed through uh the it's like a light source into the um from source to source well i forget what it's called now that technology it's um is it laser or that direct plug-in you do to um, optical optical sorry yeah optical it's based on optical audio and also the codec that it's um converted into is it's pretty close to lossless yeah. So right. it sounds really nice,
1: actually. A mini. Disc so they're a better, like, because I, I, I believe there's a channel that I think you put me onto actually it was Techmoan, yeah, and he talks a lot about mini discs on Techmoan. Techmoan is the most amazing
2: channel that I've uh, ever tec- seen. Oh I, I, yeah, I've yeah, watched Techmoan for quite,
1: quite a few years yeah, now. Yeah, I binged it
2: hard. Uh, I binged Techmoan. like I'm, I'm he, finished. Though, he, he loves, that? uh, he loves
1: mini discs. He talks a lot about them.
2: Mini and disc is awesome because. Um, the medium you're playing on has like no problem with exposure to the elements. It's in a plastic case.
1: Um, the They're c- much more portable in that sense. Yeah, so you can well, drop it, you smaller. can scratch it.
2: Do- nothing happens to it unless you open like the floppy disk type of gate and scratch on the inside of the medium. And the audio yeah. quality
1: is better than the CD as well. Is that yeah, right? it's,
2: it's really good. And like you can get a one gigabyte Which are really expensive now, but one gigabyte mini disc for recording on. And it's basically like, to me anyway, like not for the experts out there that are jumping up and down, no, no. For me, I dig the quality. It sounds like web to me. So whatever, whatever. That's what I prefer. That's what I like. I like the technology.
1: Like, Where do you get blank mini discs from? Because I hear like in Japan... Um, much like a lot of formats that have, like now dead and gone, like um, like LaserDisc for instance, um, they were like they still hung on to mini discs like a lot longer, right? And it also in the in Europe is that right? In the UK? In particular. Yeah. So there must be like a fair few, like mini discs still getting around. Yeah. America, and maybe
2: Australia and South Africa, are the only places that mini disc wasn't a huge medium and I mean like massive I had this relative that came over from Belgium or something where his the first time I saw one and it was a Sony mini disc and I couldn't believe because we were using a a discman that would skip in the kitchen if you walked on the floorboards like he was using <coughs> this mini disc and he was playing drum and bass and I was like Well, that's like the future. Anyway, it was only really big in Europe. The reason I have such a big collection is because I have a very good friend that I'll talk about also in this podcast later that has a connection that wanted to get rid of most of the mini-discs that they had. So I have about, I'd say about 600 mini-discs and four... Of various albums. Or do you mean blank blank ones, blanks? I don't have any pre-recorded mini discs because they're so expensive. Like, I would love to have the Michael Jackson collection, but each one is, like, over $100. Yeah, Mm. wow. And also the sound quality on pre-recorded mini discs is subpar to your recording off of vinyl or CD.
1: So is the the whole... So, like, is it kind of, like similar to the way people use reel-to-reel tape because obviously they made pre-recorded reel-to-reel tapes like you could buy an album on reel-to-reel but i don't know how expensive they were back then but major, now, yeah yeah like so i like you to give you an example it's like what is it, it's the 50th anniversary of woodstock you could buy like the woodstock album compilation on reel-to-reel i think i've seen it on discogs but you're looking at like a 100 bucks but Most people I've met who have reel-to-reels buy the blanks and then they record from vinyl onto their reel-to-reel and they make compilations. Is that what you sort of
2: do with mini-discs? Well, see, the thing... Well, not in the way you're talking about, in a similar way, mini-disc and reel-to-reel are close because only a certain amount of artists that were on the label that could, like Sony, could... Be put on mini disc. because oh, they own the format. Yeah, Sony no. owned the mm. format of mini disc. So at the same time, it's like with Blu-ray. Every time an
0: Xbox plays a Blu-ray, that's why you got to install the plugin so they don't have to pay the oh, royalty. To Microsoft. Oh, that's all right.
1: Microsoft and uh, uh, HD. DVD you know, DVD I've thought yeah, about yeah, yeah.
2: The yeah.
0: 360 had a HD DVD player in it, but I remember that. the mm. Xbox One has a Blu-ray. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's why you got. It's always like a the- free plugin, but you got to download it because that's that's the trigger to, for them to pay the royalty to Sony mm. for gotcha. the Blu-ray technology. So they can't have any downloads. They've I don't know. holy shit! I learned something. Yeah, thanks man. Remember the Xbox dongle? Is well, uh, if you want to play yeah. DVD on the Xbox, same reason. That was just no basically way. like a yeah. I've uh, I've I've paid for the royalty. That's amazing. Chip. So... Sorry, I didn't mean to derail what you were about to say. No,
2: no, no. no. But getting back to that, so Real to Real mm. was similar because they only released absolute classics on Real to Real commercial available... Tape. Stuff they knew was going to sell. That's yeah, what I'm like yeah. you can get Beatles on there, but you couldn't get someone like... They wouldn't be taking a risk Frank on Frank Zappa or... Yeah. Um, Beef Beefheart or Tom Waits. You can't get them. And FYI, if there are those real to real tapes out there, I'm just using this as a metaphor <laughs> for something more... There's <laughs> some Zappa collector alternative. there. ...alternative. Some hours, I'm sure. Um, my you. point is that it was more for, like, a select amount of releases. Mm. So those two mediums are similar in that way. With, um, mini-discs, though... Um, I don't know, it's very easy to record on, it sounds awesome. Um, it's super fun, you feel like you're on the Starship Enterprise when you're putting music in. Yeah, it's that would be pretty sick. they click yeah, nicely according to a the cartridge. They just look awesome. They yeah. f- like they're one of the things like vinyl that when you see someone using it, you're like, Damn, I wonder what that is. I wanna use that, you know? Um, so yeah, I have a lot of mini discs. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, um,
0: and what synthesizers do you use? What's so that? You because you, you were you mentioned that you're recording electronic music, right? hmm So, um, you use a Dave Smith. Uh, the
2: yeah, so there's two. I have two like sort of routes that I take, and using the Dave Smith Tempest is awesome because. And um, what is the Tempest? Because is it, is it a is it
0: like a kind of all in one work desk kind of instrument, or is it like we like, can record
2: to it? Or it's like if someone got a drum machine, yeah, and then a profit, yep, any profit, and then made them into one thing, and then put the most unuser friendly interface, yeah, on it. That is written like an engineer would understand and it's like, okay, go for that. you have endless possibilities. Um, but you have to figure it out. menu diving. yeah um my my housemate's got a mofo
0: and it's it I, i've I've given up on it so many times are I've
1: these are these patch cable synthesizers? No, this one I'm is like totally digital
0: routing, but it's it is analog, right?
2: but it's completely routing. analog with digital sampling. Y- yeah. So, it has two voices plus digital sampling. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for instance, you've got to look at it like the best way to explain it to someone is like to a layman because I know nothing about synths. Okay. So, it's like you have an empty slate and you choose your drum sounds mm. from a memory bank in this empty slate. And so you have like an eight oh eight kick and a nine oh nine snare and you might have like a real drum set hi hat and you're like, Okay, so I'm gonna make a beat out of this. The machine will record that. What we call quantizing. Oh, so that's when it basically like tidies up the rhythms. It moves all your notes that you've performed physically into the time signature that you've chosen based on it being on proper time. So when we say quantizing, it means that it's about alignment into
1: modern... Just making sure that every beat is metronome-like, essentially. Yes, exactly.
2: So you make your beat, and then you decide whether or not, based on the... Um, algorithm in the machine that shows you what tempo is you choose your tempo so you go your beat playing and then you go into synthesizer mode and then you choose your bass notes so then you've got two tracks then you can choose a third and a fourth based on how much these voices can put out all at the one time and that's when you get into an interesting situation with it because you have artefacts that come in once you push the machine past the capabilities that it was built to make. So, yeah, that's The Tempest and it's one of the most fun things. No
1: regrets buying. Um, so, it's t- kind of like a you, it allows you to sort of just individually track different instruments or different sounds over one other, like yep. create a song on, yep. on, on, on four tracks.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Essentially, I'd say it'd be four tracks, yeah. So it's a four voice, though, right. two, voice yeah, two voice, and two digital sample oscillators. Right. So the, the yeah. digital
0: samplers are their own kind of mm-hmm. voices.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yes. Do you ever um, going back to what you were saying about quantizing, um, I was what wat- there's an interesting video online about Jay Diller and how he he never used quantizing like. Um, th- I, t- I can't remember the name of the sample machine. It was like an Akai, one of those big grey things with the Ah, oh MPC. Akai okay, MPC. MPC. Yeah, that's three thousand. That's the one. MPC thousand three thousand. Um, whatever, yeah. And they were talking about how he, um, like humanized it in a sense where he would, he would hand, sample everything to the beat in his head, but he wouldn't quantize it, and like that would, that would allow for his music to take on a bit more, like a bit of a different sound.
2: Yeah, you know, like there's nothing more boring than listen listening to what people say EDM, which is like the most stupid acronym or whatever you'd call it for yeah, like okay. describing a genre of music. Anyway, beside that, when people say EDM, you go to a club and you just hear this fall to the floor of beats it's so boring and it's predictable blah 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 when you come to jay dealer's music thing i appreciate it about especially donuts is like his use of samples and sound layering not so much his choice of drum sample or beat it's his use of sound layering that i think is really good and his sampling and it's like he te- he can tell a story in the album, based on the vocals and the movement of the tune. So, that's D- what I like about that.
1: There's a hidden message apparently in that album, Donuts as well, because he recorded it. Like, do you know about do you know about much about that album?
0: I know, I know. It was recorded while he was passing away, basically. Yeah, like yeah. So he was, he was on, on his deathbed, and then he passed away. Terror, think, right after it released. Yeah, think, like
1: two yeah. days afterwards. Yeah. Apparently but um i don't know if it's a confirmed thing but there's the, there's like a lot of talk online about how there was like a hidden message in within the vocal samples so if you listen to it from start to finish and the whole album loops as well it yeah. starts with the the outro and finishes with the intro so you can actually loop the whole thing infinitely
2: oh no shit yeah apparently well but my um, f- my favorite um song off that album is actually um the real Slim Shady. Uh, I think when he like made that song, and he became the character of Eminem. Oh man, what a creative genius! On sorry, which album? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were talking about donuts. Yeah, we're talking about donuts. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm pulling shapes here. Pulling shapes out of nowhere. Sorry, right. Right, folks. Just chuck a dolly. It's yeah. just r- my sense of humour. <laughs> <here. laughs>
1: <laughs> just threw me off guard there.
2: Yeah, don't
0: worry about it. So, yeah, Jay Dilla Donuts. What other... Like, obviously, what are they... Like you got DJ Shadow. Shadow's oh, a Shadow, prime example. J, J Dilla, The Avalanches. Which Shadow would oh, be... Oh, Avalanches. Are some, Avalanche's uh, who are some other, like, in your opinion...
1: Purely sample based.
0: Purely sample based um, artists, like the greatest. I John
1: think. T.
2: John T. John T is a genius. This dude. Have you guys heard of John T? Um, I, I've heard the name but I've not J-O-N-T-E, ventured into e, it, right? J O N T I. Is that him there?
1: I. That's Sh- oh. that's Shadow.
2: Yeah. Mm. yeah. Right. Uh-huh. No.
1: No. Um no, so um may or may not have heard of John T. Enlighten me.
2: Okay, Junty is this Australian artist that originates from South Africa. And anyway, I was doing uh, sign writing with my uncle. And my uncle used to listen to RTR. Well, still does. All the time. And he said, oh, I won this competition and they sent me this CD. He's like, you like it, but I don't really like it. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a listen gives me the C D. It's called Twirly Gig. I was like, okay, that's a, like a hell funny name. I would have never have thought about that. And um yeah anyway, I played the C D and I was like, holy shit, this is the most creative thing I've heard in ages. And I when I heard of when I heard that or oh, I would have been nineteen, living with my grandma And I was just obsessed with this guy's album. When I moved to Sydney a while later, I went and saw him play in, um, I think it was King's Cross or something like that. And he's on Stone's Throw by then. I think Twilly Gig was released on Stone's Throw. Yeah, it was. And it was just so creative. So emotive, so it's like a journey. Like that album and that guy is so underrated. And like since those days, I think he was around 70,000 views on his single from that album, but he's dropped down a bit. And it's because he sort of has a, I don't know, a modern take on like hip hop and. Like sampling and mashing it all together, it's like the artist Fleming Gosis, who I really like, but crazier, better samples. It is just awesome. And where can you um, where can you check him out? Just type in John T, J-O-N-T-I on but
1: Google. But it must be Bandcamp or something like that. Oh, he's on Stone Throw. Oh, okay. With the yeah. yeah. Stone Records. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, which which is obviously like a seminal record, com- like with um, Butterfingers and... Pic- picturing the logo on my head right now. Mm. MF Doom and Everyone's all seen it. Junti is awesome. Yeah. Big influence on me for sure. He uses the MPC 500, I think. Which is that, that same machine. That I think the it's the, the is, ultra yeah. cheap version of that machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dillard's I used to have one, I used to have to smash it to get any sound out of it. Yeah, they're not like re-
1: all that reliable. Proper,
2: like, jump off the side of the ring, <laughs> boom, on the key. <laughs> Elbow
1: drop it. Elbow drop it to get a sample, yeah. <laughs> Dillers is uh, behind glass in the Smithsonian, apparently.
2: Yeah, um, that's that's pitches. the time we live in now, you know, like... Okay, J. Diller. Oh... Mamma Mia, yes, he's very talented. But you talk about Smithsonian, probably has works from Debussy, uh, Mozart, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that these people are even related musically, but I think like the regard for what we consider absolute, the pinnacle of being an artist isn't the same as we used to. And that's why I listened to Debussy, the French composer, um, because it takes you back to the sophistication of what was expected at the time musically. What we have now is, is a free for all and it's for the better of art. But what I believe is the constriction on like that art back then in Debussy's time you know like it really drove like intricacy and and you couldn't be sloppy and you could you create these pieces that are performed for people um and you're like a certain level in society as an artist and things we've lost over time yeah i miss i i don't like to compare modern artists to old artists and I think in the Smithsonian I could be like wrong but at the same time like comparing old to new nah it's a different time what's expected is different but we still enjoy the same things in the same way I don't know if that makes sense but no I'm with you on that yeah that yeah. makes, mm. makes there's sense there's, there's no way you can compare Claire Lune to like Dear Mama by Tupac, you know. They're still still fucking, sorry for swearing, awesome songs, but the level of, yeah, it's just different. You can't compare. 100%. Mm. 100%.
0: Um, And going off the music production side of things, you also, and this kind of loops into what, you know, Rhubarb does, is you master for vinyl.
2: Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um,
0: the allegations are, are correct. You're a vinyl masterer.
2: Yeah, so what I think might be the fifth or the sixth one I've done for Rhubarb.
1: Good, you mastered the Rhubarb jams. Yeah, vinyl.
2: that's right, yeah. <laughs> See, like, that's a techno technological side to music that I also explore. I explore many different pathways but that's when I lock into one I'll do that one and when Dylan says hey you want to do this I'll do it Um, but the difference between me is like I've grown up with mentors I'd say like Laurie Sinagra Laurie Sinagra is a mentor even Matt Delahunty has been a mentor to me and all this sort of education you get from people helps you adapt that technological side to learning audio to like the human side of that so for instance an example is if you hear the mastering behind ice house the album man of colors to the mastering of um, Illmatic by Nas. Different approaches are what's needed. You can't master a song like Electric Blue to a song that Nas has done. It's you can't, you can't
1: saturate the, the yeah, drums yeah, yeah. and reverb because it's not the 80s.
2: Oh, Dylan just pointed out he has Man of Colours. Oh, what a classic. On coloured vinyl too, probably. Is it? Yeah. I think I cleaned that one the other day. (laughs) Oh, still. How much is that doing? Uh, mate, uh, 10 bucks. Oh, sold. So, um, yeah, Crazy is my favorite song on that album. I love it. That's a tune, that one. (laughs) I always sing that song to my girlfriend.
1: She hates it. (laughs) I know. It's like
2: a biography, man, (laughs) for me. Uh. It's like when a girl takes interest in you. Thank you, brother. Take a girl takes interest in you, like a part of you goes, Oh shit. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> there must be a, there must be kind of some hole in if I if I saw me, I'd keep walking, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh shit, there's a hole in her judgment, Tracy, if you're listening. Um this is all show <laughs> I love you. <laughs> nah, so. but yeah like When when a girl actually likes you Like really likes you And you're like Shit <laughs> Like What the fuck Yeah, yeah. What about all this that stuff feeling. She obviously <laughs> doesn't realise it What yeah. is wrong with her <laughs> I don't even and the check the cycle continues <laughs> Tracy I don't even check my letterbox <laughs> Someone else from work Empties my letterbox for me Because I don't open it <laughs> He does it out of kindness, for real. The dude shows up to pick me up from work, and he goes for my letterbox and throws it in the bin. And he's like, he's like, every week he's like, "Oh yeah, you haven't emptied your letterbox again." <laughs> I'm like, "Why would I? When I know you're gonna do it for me." He's he's probably stolen your identity. Oh, I don't I don't care. He can steal my identity. It will like accumulate my debt as well. <laughs> 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 yeah cool
1: it's the bit yeah. that's been the plan all along yeah that. that's the
2: plan you don't want to take my bank account you'll just be in debt <laughs> uh nah but um yeah back to artistry it's quite phenomenal
0: so when you when you're mastering a vinyl what's like the 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 the, the, dis, the difference between mastering for you know digital as opposed to mastering for vinyl what what are you approaching differently? What are you bringing down? What are you boosting? What are you... Uh,
2: okay, so before I even explain my um, my take on doing this, there's going to be a lot of people out there that disagree with my methods. That's just part of...
0: That's part of the internet. and That's, <laughs>
2: that's the internet for you. I mean, like I've been a w- watching a lot of like Videos on the internet about cooking and all kinds of stuff. There's experts out there that will say, "Oh, you didn't fry the egg for point one of a second. Like, oh, it's gonna make it rubbery. Oh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Step to me, I'll smash you." Um, <laughs> no, sorry, I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm taking the piss. I'm not a violent person, guys. Um. Anyway, just call out Gordon Ramsay. Oh, yeah, man, I, I love Gordon Ramsay's stuff. He's just, oh, he just tells them how it is. And they're all like, <laughs> ooh, I thought my food was good. Because, <laughs> dude, where I work, we get free food. And I love watching Gordon Ramsay stuff. And every time the food rolls out, I mean, I appreciate getting free food. I really, really do. It <laughs> makes life so much easier. But when they roll out spaghetti for the third time in a row, I'm like, is this a fucking Italian hospital? <laughs> is it, are we in Italy? <laughs> Why are we having spaghetti three <laughs> days in a row? What the hell? Anyway, that aside, final mastering. Yeah, there's a certain, <laughs> there's a certain amount of frequency range you can work within above and below what you gotta know is what sounds good in that range. What you need to hear. What you like when when you pull that out of a WAV file, especially new new bands, like that aren't recorded on um, they're recorded on computers. So basically, the frequency range is infinite. There's frequencies we can't hear as humans because microphones, doors are so sensitive. They can pick up all this stuff. All that stuff means nothing. It's the things that matter that you need to hear. So, for instance, if you're going to master a vinyl, you need to know what's important and you need to listen to that song over and over and over and over and over again and find what you like about it. And that's what I do every single time. I listen to a song about eight times before I make a decision on how I'm going to master it. And when, like with Rhubarb, when there's a compilation and all your source material is from different people, it makes it a very big job because, like, okay, so I did Stephen Bailey's record. That was a dream because it was all from the same source material, same microphone, same tapes, blah, blah, blah. It all had a similar baseline. When you have multiple um, source material, every decision you make on mastering something is different. And how it fits with the next one because the volume is different. Is it mastering you're doing about being loud? Is it about dynamically affecting the track? I don't know. It's up to the, the listener, really. But my take on it is the dynamics need to be dynamic. The loud parts need to be loud. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's sort of common sense stuff, you know, yeah. but applied to the artistry. You need to understand the artist as well, I reckon. Yeah. Like the song. For most of the songs Dylan picks, I really like them. But say someone gives you a song that you hate, that's always going to be a barrier in the way that you do something the best you can, you know? Because you have doubts about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's...
0: There's a lot of... I don't know. I feel like in in modern music, like the, 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 the mill of pop music and such, it's just, you know, feels... You know,
1: manufactured,
0: manufactured, and there's th- there's not that laboring of love over the sound, and you know, drawing certain characteristics out from the sound of you know how a guitar rings out on the last. It's time.
1: about drilling out a single to make yeah. some money, yeah. So it's not like you, yeah, there's no artistry in it because it's essentially just it's a product. It's a product, yeah. It's, it's like a can of coke. For it's sale. no different to yeah, you know, anything that you buy off the shelf.
2: You know, people said that about. Never mind the bollocks by the sex pistols. And I was listening to that today in the car and driving around Yokine. <laughs> another
0: one. Dylan this whole this whole conversation we haven't addressed. Oh actually Michael did
2: a moment ago, but it's a throughout this uh, throughout this
0: episode, <laughs> Dylan's pulled out records of different albums that have been mentioned as he stacks the shelves, presenting it like he's on Wheel of Fortune.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Your prize. <laughs> So, never mind the bollocks. Some people in the punk scene think whether you can, like, even envelope punk into a scene is sort of existentially
1: existentially? existentially. Existentially? That's right.
2: Ironic based on the, you know politics of what are you doing but um people say never mind the bollocks is a boy band album i was listening to that today in the car listening to bodies and bodies is a heavy as shit song and the theme of the song is abortion and i was listening to that and i was like whoa like 1977 if i'm wrong
1: i'm sorry no, 77, that's right.
2: 77, yeah. For this album to come out in 77, when you've got Fleetwood Mac 75 Rumours, and this thing is like topping the charts in England, I mean, boy band or not, you've your goal has been achieved exponentially, whatever method it was to produce that album, and I think that... That album, Nevermind the Box, is awesome for that. Especially, yeah, like, Bodies and um, Anarchy in the UK. And like, yeah, oh man. I was listening to that today and I was like, I knew why when my auntie from France gave me that CD as a present when I was 12 years old, that shit made my summer. That record made my summer. Like, it was energy. It was just, like, raw power. And then people say, oh, it was a boy band that was created by Malcolm McLaren. Maybe it was, but the emotion was encapsulated in that record. Oh, man.
1: No one could uh, accuse Malcolm McLaren of, you know, being w- any anything that fits within the norm anyway. So mm. even, let's just say, for argument's sake, that sex pistols were a boy band and they were manufactured they weren't manufactured by like the head of Capitol records like malcolm mclaren was still a fucking far out dude you've only got to listen to his uh, like his albums
2: man oh that's a great song
1: i would have like what's that he did he did like a semi like like a proto hip-hop album even yeah that Um, was buffalo Girls. yeah yeah and like a lot of um a lot of African influence in that as well. Mm. As a ch- I, like, I didn't even know half of, half, like fuck all about Malcolm McIntyre really, but um, I saw that ch- that track and that film clip o- pop up on Rage late at night and I was like, fuck, man, this is... Oh, this, this is... Scratching is making me
2: itch. That's it's
1: bizar- like bizarre and just so, so creative and off the wall. I mean, he was... He, probably none of the ideas are original, but what he was doing was just like... It, w- it was like an audible collage essentially.
0: Um, so, you, you, you've done, you've delved in production to mastering and audio, but you also do video. Um, you yes. have your own media company, but your, what, well, where does uh, your documentary sit? And for those that don't aren't aware, you directed a, a shot, directed, edited um, a, um, and obviously with other people um, helping you out from what it seems. But uh, David Lieberhart.
2: Yeah, so um, when he came
0: to town, and you turned that into a documentary. So what's it called? And for again? for those
1: of us that don't know, uh, for those who, of you who are listening who don't know who David Lieberhardt is. So David yes, sorry, I should, uh, We should probably establish that first. Yeah, yeah, he's well, he's a. Uh, well, actually, let's let let's let Michael answer that yeah. question. So <laughs> give us know.
2: the full rundown, because I did a terrible job of opening that up. So. <laughs> so if I had to explain who David Lieberhart is. I'd say that he is a mentally handicapped person from a long time ago that has seemed to use his, um, or, his age, well, use his sort of like handicap to his advantage and To a certain point now where, when I spent time with him, before he came, I was guessing whether he was just the most ultimately awesome actor of all time, and this was a character that he was doing. That's what I always assumed. Yeah, or it was You would be forgiven
1: for assuming that, because he's, he's on that show, Tim and Eric, so... Which might, which a lot of people would be familiar with.
2: Yeah, so David, which is a comedy show. David Lieberhardt was on a, sh- well, was on a show from I don't know about five years ago called Tim and Eric. Awesome show, great job. Which is also like one of my favorite shows. But um, yeah, he was he was a puppet guy on there. But it goes deeper than that, you know, like so feel free to ask me anything, it so I made this documentary of my friend Seymour, and um yeah, so these guys have seen it, and you can access it too at uh, just type in l i e b e space boobs on youtube yeah,
1: <laughs> so tell us about how like how did you get the opportunity to to meet David Lieberhart and like spend some time with him and shoot a documentary with him. How did how did that
0: And for the audience, just to preface that, the documentary is that you follow Lieberhart around mm. while he was in Perth and hang out with him and document is, what Did what he happens. stay
1: with you?
2: Yes he did. Yeah. He stayed with me for three days.
1: So and you f- and so this is a short documentary about that experience. So yeah. tell us about how that came about.
2: So in two thousand and fifteen was it fifteen? Yeah, around then, fifteen. Two thousand one day I woke up with a hangover and I was like, Oh my god. Anyway, I was like doing my usual thing was if I was hungover, I'll watch Tim and Eric and because it's such like I don't know, blunt, like absurd comedy that it just, it's perfect because you don't have to think about it. You just look at it and you're like, huh, like it's a cheap You laugh. don't have to try and make sense of it because yeah, it's, it's not meant to. It's, yeah, it's just
1: completely absurd.
2: You just, it's like, yeah, it's like the cash cow for if you want to have a good time in a short time. Anyway, (laughs) that's a good way to look at it. (laughs) In a a G rated sense, I mean, you can go to the rub and tug for 40 bucks. I don't blame you. But, um, (laughs) yeah. But in the same way, (laughs) but not the same way, I sent, when in this hungover state, David Lieberhardt's production company an email and I said hey um if you ever think about doing some kind of show in Australia you can always stay at my house me thinking (laughs) that (laughs) it was sort of a joke because I had no idea what kind of financial situation this guy was in whether it was a joke or not but I said you can stay at my house. And
1: you still never knew whether he was serious or whether he was... No, Because I didn't. No, you, Tim and Eric doesn't tell you that. So yeah. this was a complete shot in the dark.
2: Which is, at the same time, a reason why I sort of regret being a part of the outsider sort of focus on the characters, you know? Because in Terminator tim and eric you're not sure if it's real or not so it's like it's got a magic to it Mm. yeah and then once you once you delve deep into this thing it's not so magical anymore it's literally like serious stuff so for instance i sent him the email and then heard nothing back a year later (laughs) a year later a a whole year later i get this message and it's like hi this is jonah I'm David Lieberhardt's manager. We're going to do a national tour of Australia. And we're wondering if when we do the Perth show, can we stay at your house? And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. (laughs) 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 I Uh. was like, I said to my girlfriend at the time, I was like, see, my weird ass ideas do work out. Now we have fucking... David Lieberhardt going to stay with us (laughs) from Adult Swim in Los Angeles in America. That's how it felt at the time. (laughs) That short burst of like, whoa, I'm like one degree away from Tim and Eric. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the degree sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then so in that year, wait, it was a bad year for me. I had didn't I couldn't get employed. It's the whole thing of like you're so skilled but you can't get a job because you haven't had experience in that job. Anyway, it was shit and so I ended up getting this job emptying shipping containers. And the day he was arriving, they asked me to do this double shift and I was like, I could earn Three hundred dollars. I'll go pick up David Leibovitz. Like I actually thought about that because that's how poor I was at the time, and I was like, "No, nah, I'll never be able to do this again." And uh, uh, why would I ever promise someone to meet them and leave them alone? But that's that's the situation I was in. Anyway, pick up the guy. Oh no! Before that, this guy from my lecturer from uni. He was gonna be helping me. And then last minute while i was actually emptying containers the day before he calls me and he's like oh i can't do the david Lieberhardt thing again oh i can't do the david Lieberhardt thing i was like damn like it's like five minutes before he comes and he's like call this guy i'll you know call this guy he'll be able to do it so i call this guy seymour Seymour arrives. He's like this weird tall guy and I'm sitting on the like balcony of my house. He comes in and he's the guy that's helping me. From the get-go, we had to become friends and meet David Lieberhart and create this narrative with it and everything and it all happened. So that was really cool.
1: So you went to... You went to the airport. You met David. Yeah. and, and Did like he have an entourage or was it just him?
2: Nah, it was him and his manager. And one of the first things... What was, what was that request that he had for you? Sorry, what were you about to say? is well, that fir- what you were about to say? Well, what you see on the documentary is legitimately the first time I met him. So <laughs> he comes through the gate and he's like, oh, I want you to take me to a hobby shop. That's the first thing he said. I said hi to him. How's it going? And he said, I want you to take me to a hobby shop. And I was like... I had a microphone with a XLR cord on it to the camera and it was really <laughs> old school way of presenting. It was like eighties news or some shit. <laughs> and I was like and I was like, Okay, um, yeah, we can do that and then cut and yeah, so right when he arrived to right when he left it was a fucking oh
1: Just bizarre. A bizarre yeah. experience. So that was the first thing he said to you, didn't say hello, didn't say It just, I want to go to a hobby shop. Mm -hmm. So presumably then straight from the airport, you went to a hobby shop. No,
2: we didn't (laughs) (laughs) because when he arrived, it was like 5 PM Yeah, and the hobby shops all closed by then. Yeah. So I had to explain to him like, dude, we'll do it maybe tomorrow or whatever. So when he arrived, we all got in the car and then he wanted to do this, um, we were looking for a place to interview him and we went through actually like Northbridge and we got out of the car. And in that drive, he was unloading all this stuff about Tim and Eric that I can't say now and is on video. Um, that is just absolutely like, uh, it's...
1: Positive stuff?
0: No, <laughs> it's not. I've heard him grief about them before.
2: The, the problem with David is like when we made this film, it's like we had 24 straight hours of him in three days. Just 24 hours of him ranting about everything. When he's with you, his conversation starts here. And ends in a different place from where it started. So, when you're editing the video... <laughs> you don't know where. <laughs> you have to... It, t- it took us six months to cut this down into 20 minutes. Like, it
1: actually did. To make it coherent. Yeah, to like, make a coherent story yeah. from
2: start to finish. It took us six months. Well, you did a really good job. <laughs> like, I really job enjoyed watching it. It's a, it's a great, great... Well, the clip. thing... Okay, so, like... Movie. Okay, so this is a first, and I've been wanting to say this for ages. Jonah, the manager of David Lieberhardt, he is a talented music producer himself. Okay. And he makes the modern David Lieberhardt tunes that he tours with around the world, including here on Ableton, and he uses all the brand-new tones and the like... And, and coming from a producer standpoint, from what we've talked about earlier, it's like I really pay attention to that stuff. The thing that made David famous in the first part was his lo-fi 1980s Casio, like, compositional stuff. It's his aesthetic. I washed his fucking clothes when he came here. You know, like, the first morning when David Lieberhardt stayed at my house, it was about 7 in the morning, right? And I just hear this, "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I wake up, and I'm like, oh, shit, something's going down. I walk outside (laughs) of the door, right? David Lieberhardt is in the bathroom. My housemate, Fabia, at the time, this, like, 38-year-old Italian woman, Like, how random. She's like, oh, I don't know what is going on. I don't know what is going
1: on in there. Say what, she walked in on David Lee behind the bathroom or something. No, no,
2: no, she didn't walk in. Oh, something going on. I was like, hey, (laughs) Miguchi, you don't worry. I was like, I'm going in there, uh, okay? No, I didn't really, like, mock her at all. I just said, look, don't worry, I'm gonna sort this out. Anyway, I go in the bathroom, David Lieberhardt is standing under the hot water and he's just got the hot water on in the shower, fully naked, and he's just like, ah, like screaming. I'm like, dude. And I put I had to like see his willy and stuff. I turned the cold on. and I'm like, dude, this is how you work the shower, man. Like, it's it's fucking obvious. So it sounds yeah. like so it he would didn't even know already. how to operate the shower. Like, got to no. the point of getting to the shower and getting the hot. hot yeah, he bike. literally stood under the hot water screaming, like in pain.
1: That would like, have been. I can. I'm now starting to grasp how much work it would have been mm-hmm. to make this this 20 minute documentary.
2: So then I took him. At, well, I had to take him out for breakfast every morning. Where'd you I go? At my own expense, or my girlfriend's expense at the time. or we in in uh, Victoria <laughs> Park. We went to um, oh, some cafe there. I used to live there. I don't remember it now, but they did breakfast anyway. Anyway, the cafe is full of white people, and David's obviously African-American, and I get the bre- breakfast, and we like, all sit down eating and stuff. And then he starts this rant about how African-American people aren't good enough and black people are, like, a scourge or something to, like, society. And I'm sitting there, like... Like, he's getting animated, so, like, it's loud. And, like, all these... And he starts using the N-word. And I'm, like... I don't know what to do because he is black. So... (laughs) He can really use that too. word, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's still yeah. turning heads. And I'm sitting here listening to this rhetoric about how he's actually German Irish or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> and like, the dude is <laughs> the dude is literally like an African American dude. If you've ever seen him, he he is that color. And like, we're white, and it's just like, you know, it. He thinks he's German-Irish, so I don't know. And he was being really racist, and it was a weird paradigm (laughs) for me because I'm like, do I, I don't know. Where do you begin (laughs) responding to that, like?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd be stumped, honestly. (laughs) Because he
2: was using the N-word, like, and this, and that, like, full-on, yeah,
1: psycho, so. Was that anywhere close to, like, the, the most memorable moment that... I had with him? yeah. I think... If you had to pick one, if you mm. haven't mentioned it already.
2: See, what you see on the documentary is the best way to represent what he actually is like a person. But one of the coolest things about the documentary that is like what you're talking about is when we arrived at the park in East Perth and he... <laughs> is
0: this the wedding? Yeah. Oh, and that That cracked me up i I was i was watching it like rolling because i was watching it on my mac but i was rolling on my bed
2: laughing at that 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 was the funniest moment that (laughs) was when i knew that it was we were doing god's work because we got out of the car we got out of the car and then this all just took place like one after the other and me and Seymour are looking at each other like, "This is the motherlode jackpot of this film." We we're like, and also shout out to Seymour because, like, I haven't talked about Seymour, but Seymour Davison is the guy that I made that with, and it was my idea, but I had to get that get to know that guy on day one, and and from day one to day four. Um and then edit with him for six months. And Seymour Davison and I've worked on another show that he's created called Squiggle, and I don't know when he's gonna release it, but it's in the same vein as this one. It's really funny. It's awesome. But like we can to uh, check that out, yeah. Oh, uh, it's so good. I just want him to just to release it like it's 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 really good. Anyway, I just want to say, like, Seymour Davison, um, with my mind and his mind together, like, is amazing. Like, we can go anywhere, and it's just the fact that, like, our sort of, the things that make us imperfect other things that drag us down from going too far with it and I just you know like if Seymour's listening I just want to say like we can go places but we both need to commit and yeah like that film yeah Seymours a Seymour's a genius he helped me do that and he's like so went to film school in Sydney and to a proper one and all these people, you'd say like, oh, do this on Adobe um, Illustrator or Premiere or, you know, all those programs. And they'll take ages to do it. Seymour can do it like, boom. I'll say like, make that bird gold. He'll be like, boom. Make those clouds green. He'll be like, boom. Just off the tree, incredible at editing. And so that's where we're like perfect for each other. And what I want to get out of that now is I need to find an animator that does cartoons, like on multiple, because I have like the best ideas and stuff for that. So yeah, if anyone's listening that can um, animate or knows people that can animate with me, we do the best stuff, like me and Seymour, so come approach me. Yeah. Sweet. So right
0: yeah. How can people find you? Do you have like a...
2: uh you know, like... Instagram? Or
0: email? Or what?
2: How can people reach out to you? I think...
0: Do you have a page for Klaus Bass or something?
2: Yeah, I think the best way to get at me is to go through my SoundCloud. If you're typing... K-L-A-U-S space B-A-S-S space. That is the way you can contact me. If you love me, go have a pee. <laughs> yeah. <see. laughs> All right.
1: Sweet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and to roll back to, to leave a heart.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it, it, w- w-
0: I, I just want to know more, like... It just that it just. I put myself in your shoes in that scenario, and I can only guess how. I mean, I've seen the documentary, but it's one thing to be on that side of the, of the screen, but to be, you know, actually there. And, and luckily,
2: I work. I don't want with to say you know, like just dealing with him. Like, luckily, I work with and understand a lot of mental incapacities that people have including myself like I can't say that I'm absolutely straight and narrow like mentally like I have my own problems as people listening could be like oh yeah put money on that you have problems you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) no but seriously I do and a lot of the people I work with do also but the things that make us different, also make us stronger and special. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So Seymour, for instance, the things that make him lacking in in social life, make him absolutely incredible in another way. Same with me, same with David Lieberhardt, same with, and and what I'm saying now to people is, if you don't understand yourself, what, age helps you with that once you get older i never used to understand where i'm at where i'm from why i think the way i do or why other people do but when you get talking to people and socializing you realize that the things that make you weaker the things that can make you stronger and i truly believe that and i think with david lieberhart and tim and eric and and like me and like you know other people it's just like it's the way you milk your world to your own advantage you know and so like with David Lieberhart all the crazy things he did all the crazy things he still does all the you know that's the to some people's perspective is the low side of him but the brilliant side is what keeps people captivated with this
1: irony you know so he's playing the hand that he was dealt but he's like yeah like can you you
2: name a person like him that is known in australia
1: the distance
2: from here to america i mean come on it's nuts i
1: he he kind of well i yeah definitely not but he he's he's sort of um reminds me like daniel johnson like he's got a like he's uh you know clearly got some sort of uh, you know, disability, but he uses that to his advantage. You know,
2: like to create art. I might get in trouble for this, but so. <laughs> so when we did that labor heart film, I got a message from Jonah, his manager, and he's like, "Dude." Yeah, we just got back home to America. And I was like, oh, how did it go? He's like, yeah, it was all right. But David threw out 6K into a bin in the airport and didn't even realize it. In cash. Yep. Wow. In an envelope. Yeah. So can you imagine that?
0: <laughs>
1: oh, my God. <laughs> $6,000. So is that the money Whoa.
0: that they'd been paid by yep. venues? Yep.
1: So they got oh, back so they got back to God. America stepped off the plane with this with 6k in hand which was the fruit of their labor from all their traveling Oh
2: no no they made way more than that oh, Okay oh, Okay So like, this oh, was no, a, this, was still, like, like this is still a, this, this is still This is
1: still 6k in, in hard earned cash from from so a I'm not gonna say what they made but put yeah, it this way yeah.
2: like um when I saw them counting it on the bed I was like <sighs> yippee for you.
1: <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, <laughs> how I've many dollars have you seen out of Libra boobs so far none <laughs> god nothing you have to monetize it somehow oh, maybe this podcast can help direct ad traffic to, to the YouTube page
2: hey I think if I get in touch with multiple animators the things that I want to do will manifest into financial thing but I never really think about that anyway because like even when I get paid for playing drums or, or like mastering records or, or doing something that I find fun I still find it to be very bizarre because I'm enjoying the thing I do wherever you go to work nine to five and you dislike all the things you do but you're getting the reward so it's unusual still now to get a reward for things you like to do, so yeah, um, it was pretty cool, yeah, nice, yeah. I think we'll wrap it up there. I think that's a good, good sentimental just, note to leave the audience on. I just want to say, Weiwei Ninani, um, <laughs> Sante Sana, Sawa Sawa, and um Matiti <laughs> ni I'm learning Swahili, so I just want to say that to my Kenyan friends right on nice what what did you say uh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's in in co- secret message
2: uh the best way is to decipher it in text and translate it. then it's more of like a gift to you rather than. But I just tell you, yeah, I'm going to go the extra mile and <laughs> yeah, don't, no, know, don't throw me some ma- algorithms That's getting like. Google
1: Translate out now. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: yo. All right, sweet. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I think we're going to have to get you on again. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, plenty there's plenty more there's to a talk lot about. Lot more to talk about. Yeah, maybe
1: on the next episode. <laughs> yeah,
0: cool. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks,
1: me.